This is Recorded Future, Inside Threat Intelligence for Cybersecurity. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Episode 154 of the Recorded Future podcast. I'm Dave Bittner from the CyberWire. On today's show, we welcome back Recorded Future's Levi Gundert to discuss his newly published book, The Risk Business, what CISOs need to know about risk-based cybersecurity. In our conversation, Levi Gundert makes the case for risk-based cybersecurity and describes the challenges organizations face when implementing it. He proposes updated frameworks and demonstrates the value of strategic threat intelligence. Stay with us. Well, I was doing a lot of flying and traveling coast to coast internationally and I had a fair amount of time where there wasn't really anything left to watch and I have a tough time reading on planes. So I decided to start writing because I was visiting with a lot of CISOs across our client base and some of our prospects. And I I saw a gap between what was happening on the operational side, the people that put hands on keyboards and then really the, the highest levels or tiers of the organization and there seemed to be a, a disconnect between what was happening in operational security and how senior executives in the board were thinking about risk. And so I, I really sort of wrote this book over the last two and a half, probably almost three years now, uh, on a seat back tray table, uh, you know, with T-Rex arm posture. And um, it, it took a while to, to, to put together, but, um, you know, I'm happy it's done and, and happy to uh, start evangelizing some of the ideas in, in the book. Well, let's uh, let's dig in together. I mean, what are some of the key things that you're covering here? So really at a high level, what I'm talking about is the focus of an information security program, a cybersecurity program. You know, when, when I started working in information security almost 20 years ago, you know, things were, were different in terms of the, the types of threats. And I joined the Secret Service and I spent a couple of years investigating cybercrime and at the time, you know, the mantra was really defense in depth. Uh, as you know, you know, if you, you rewind about 15 years, that's really what everyone was talking about was defense in depth. But that that mantra, it, it, it sounded good, but in practice, it didn't really work because there was always a lack of resources for sort of complete implementation. And then the speed that adversaries were shifting tactics was was too quick. So... It's not that defense in depth is a bad idea, but the actual implementation of it is is difficult. Um, in the Secret Service, you think about you know adversary TTPs and how they change. They they don't change a, a whole lot in the physical world. You know, one example would be drones. So drones are a new, relatively new technology that prevent present a threat to physical security, and the Secret Service obviously has to worry about things like like drones, but those types of TTPs don't come along that frequently. In the cyber domain, however, uh, new TTPs are constantly changing and evolving, TTP being the tool, the tactic, the, the procedures that adversaries are using, and they're constantly shifting. So if you fast forward a little bit, you know, the next sort of mantra in the information security community was, you know, intelligence. We need proactive intelligence, so we can't mm-hmm. wait around for bad things to to happen to us, you know, we have to be proactive and building intelligence that helps us make changes to our our security operationally. And and that's really what we need. 
And it's, it also is a, a good mantra. Uh, but what happens is that a lot of folks coming out of the, the public sector staff these intelligence teams and they're typically, they, they typically think about this in public sector terms, government terms, where they've been working in law enforcement or intelligence. The way that they think about intelligence is that there's, there's an outcome and the outcome is usually some sort of decision, you know, a decision to take some sort of kinetic action on an actor or an adversary in the physical world. And so there's, there is a, a demand for intelligence to make these decisions. But in the private sector, it's, it's a very different dynamic. Um, the the dynamic in the private sector oftentimes is that there there really is no outlet for it. Um, you you can write intelligence reports, but understanding you know how those intelligence reports connect to the business is very challenging sometimes. So then when we fast forward a little bit more, you know we talk more today about automation and and uh, you know automation of intelligence at scale, and that's also really important. But um, what we at Recorded Future have started talking about now is, is really security intelligence, which is, you know, being able to actually measure the reduction in operational risk across all of your security functions. And being able to do that means that you're able to actually talk about risk and quantify risk in a different way. Um, if you can't measure an outcome and you can't communicate an outcome within the private sector operationally, then it's not really a valuable workflow. It's not really something that you want to invest resources in. And, and that's really something uh, that I have, I've spent, you know, the last couple of years really trying to, to hone in terms of, you know, how, how the measurements and the communication translates uh, into that, that senior executive uh, quantitative risk piece. Well, let's go through this notion of security intelligence together. There, there's several things you outline here. Can you share some of the details? Yeah, so we, we talk about the fact that most enterprise security teams anyway, you know, they have security operations, incident response, security operations, you know, vulnerability management, uh, third-party risk or exposure within a GRC group. Um, there's, there's the Intel group, which is usually responsible for some sort of uh, brand protection. And then you also have, you know, business continuity. There's all these uh, security groups in the enterprise. And we really, you know, talk about, how to think through, you know, what you're trying to achieve operationally. So in, in the SOC, in the incident response teams, if you're using intelligence, the outcomes that you should be driving are things like quicker indicator verdicts. So if you have a level one or level two analyst that's clearing glass, as we say, you know, they should be able to verdict indicators much more quickly with good intelligence. And what that means is that they're actually able to triage, you know, more tickets or alerts in a given day. And the same thing on the incident response side is being able to triage incidents much faster. So, you know, you have to have the, the measurements in place to be able to do that. But once you're measuring those things, um, you should start seeing improvements that you can communicate, again, to senior business stakeholders. On the business continuity side, you know, if you're more involved in intelligence on sort of a geopolitical side, um, you know, can you respond to emerging physical events uh, quicker? Can you improve personnel and site security planning? Brand protection, you know, how many credentials are you resetting in a given time period uh, based on intelligence from, you know, what you see externally? Are you able to track how many, you know, credentials you're resetting in a given week or month or quarter, whatever it may be? And, you know, domain takedowns is another great metric where you have a, a confirmed, you know, domain, type of squatting domain that's impersonating your brand and, 
attempting some sort of social engineering attack. And then, you know, marketing may want to get in on the response on social media uh, when there's some event that they have quicker access to. Uh, and then sometimes the internal in-house counsel uh, would want to take action on some sort of rogue code repository. These are, you know, metrics that are specific to the silos. Same thing with third-party exposure. You know, there's so many organizations that are really worried about third and fourth-party exposure right now, you know, looking at maybe mergers and acquisition, you know, doing the evaluation to figure out, you know, is there a hidden risk, you know, before we actually do the merger? And then just generally, you know, hundreds to thousands of vendors and suppliers out there and, you know, being able to prioritize those vendors and suppliers and um, help them, you know, being able to articulate to them when something changes in their risk profile, being able to articulate that to them and work with them to make the necessary improvements, you know, is, is really, really helpful and really important to measure. And then on the vulnerability management side, improving patching prioritization and, you know, being able to better articulate the need to expedite patching across different lines of business is really important. And, and those are all uh, metrics that intelligence is helping to create and inform. You know, one of the things that, that I've certainly seen over the past few years is um, this shift where the members of the board are interacting more directly with the cybersecurity leaders. They're, they're giving them a seat at the table um, and recognizing that, you know, they have a, a real part to play when it comes to managing risk here. How, how does that align with the, the things you're tracking? Yeah, and, and that's a great point. I think we've talked about this before, Dave, you know, the need to, to look at quantifying risk because today it's very hard for the board and senior executives to necessarily understand what's going on, you know, just based on the, the traffic light models uh, that we tend to use in the enterprise, you know, red, yellow, green, or high, medium, low, it doesn't appropriately communicate uh, what risk is. And you and I have talked about this before, but really at their level, what they care about is answering the question, are we going to lose revenue? Are we going to lose money? Mm. And if so, how much? And there's a lot of sentiment in our industry that there, you know, there isn't enough data to create, you know, useful models to answer those questions. And in the book, I talk about the fact that, you know, based on the work of others that others have done here, um, specifically, uh, there's a there's a great book, How to Measure Anything in Cybersecurity Risk, uh, by Douglas Hubbard and Richard Searson. You can uh, absolutely build useful models. And there has been some movement in the industry around FAIR, F-A-I-R. Um, but what, I, what I've personally seen is the concepts with FAIR are, are great in terms of quantifying risk, but the, the implementation has been very difficult. Um, I've talked to a number of people who have tried to implement it, and it's taken them a year or two years, and they've actually given up on the effort just because hmm. the, the implementation has been very convoluted. So in, in the book here, you know, I come up with a, a new proposal called Threat Category Risk, or TCR. And Threat Category Risk is based on the same quantitative risk principles, uh, but it's really meant to be very easy and very practical to implement. And it doesn't require uh, specific software. You can do it in an Excel spreadsheet. That model is really designed to help bridge the gap between senior stakeholders and operational defenders and being able to answer those questions around um, loss. And I think that's really where our industry is going to be going over the next five to 10 years, um, again, primarily because of, of that gap. 
You know, one of the things that you highlight in the book are uh, what you describe as limitations of, of, of a couple of the models, the, the threat-focused model and the compliance-focused model. Can, can you take us through where these fall short? Yeah, absolutely. So you're, you're right. There's really two emphasis areas where I see most security programs. Um, when, when I ask, you know, what, what is the, uh, the win look like for, for a security program for you, you know, what, what does that look like? And a lot of times the answer I receive is something related to, you know, compliance-focused program where they say, well, we're trying to move maturity, you know, in this cybersecurity framework of the ISO 27001. You know, we're trying to move our maturity from a 2 to a 3 or 3 to 4, however the, the rating system works. And that's really how we measure success is, is are we more mature, you know, this year than we were last year. The problem hmm. with a, a compliance-focused program is that the frameworks that they're using, they don't necessarily keep up with the pace and the scale of changing adversary tactics. So, you know, they will release updates maybe annually, maybe uh, biannually, um, every other year. It's very difficult to, to just pin, you know, everything in terms of success to that program because they're not, they're not giving you everything in terms of... of um, a real-time framework. So the other problem is that if I tell you, you know, in the, the compliance framework says, hey, you need to build a fence, and you build a fence out of bacon, you, <laughs> you know, you have fulfilled the letter of the, you know, the, right. the requirement, but not the intent. And I think, you know, that's the problem with the compliance-focused security programs is it, it very much becomes a check-the-box mentality where, you know, we can, we can check that box and move on. We can implement the firewall and move on or whatever it may be. And the problem is that it's not always, you know, the best implementation or the most well thought out implementation because everything, all the emphasis is on expediting the checking of the box against the compliance requirement. So I'm not saying that you don't have to adhere with, you know, governance and compliance requirements. You obviously do. But if you're pinning and you're focusing the entire security program on that, you know, you're probably missing you know, missing the mark. And then on the other side, you know, some programs are very threat focused. The problem with being super threat focused is that you're jumping around, you know, trying to address various threats topically as, as they start to pop up or appear. But the problem is when you're always chasing sort of the flavor of the month, you're, you're not necessarily doing the due diligence to understand whether that threat represents a risk. And if, it, if it's not actually a risk for the business, then you're wasting resources, you know, you're wasting time and you're potentially wasting financial resources running after something that, you know, is not necessarily relevant or pertinent as a risk to the business. So that's why, you know, I talk about sort of the two failed models in in compliance and threat and really moving to a risk-driven cybersecurity program. And there's really three steps to that. So number one is, you know, understanding your security controls and where you have gaps and then number two is understanding what I call relevant threat deltas or RTDs. And relevant threat deltas are those changing TTPs, as I was talking about, and the ones that are specifically uh, present a risk to your business based on your understanding of your security controls and where you have gaps. And then number three, once you're able to do those two things, then you have good inputs for a quantitative risk model to be able to calculate probabilities and quantify actual loss amounts uh, tied to those uh, relevant threat deltas. So if you think about, again, the drones in the physical scenario with the Secret Service, you think about the risk that drones pose to protectees. 
you know, it's the same thing here, identifying relevant threat deltas or identifying uh, drones or even, you know, as new categories, but also maybe even new types of drones within the category where, you know, you have maybe short-term or long-term security control gaps uh, and then being able to quantify those means you can talk at a senior stakeholder level much more intelligently um, and actually have conversations about the trade-offs in terms of, you know, future security investments. That third point about, you know, calculating probabilities and quantifying, I, I think that that's so critical. I mean, I think about, you know, for example, uh, you know, someone who is uh, located on the West Coast has a different, uh, a different threat uh, assessment when it comes to things like earthquakes than someone who lives on the East Coast, even though both of them probably, it's good to ask the question, what's our concern with earthquakes? But depending on who you are and where you are, you get a different answer. Yeah, that's absolutely true. It really is. And it's exactly the same. You know, a SaaS company that is, uh, you know, like Recorded Futures, a SaaS company. And, you know, our our profile in terms of our security controls is very different from uh, security enterprise, you know, that hosts some of their infrastructure on site that has some of it in the quote unquote cloud, you know, that has, you know, multiple geographic presences and locations. It's, it's you know, in, industry specific there's there's so many variables in that so that's that's absolutely true in terms of of someone getting started you know beginning this journey and starting down the path to to shift how they come at these things what do you recommend there what's the best place to uh, to begin well i think if you if you read the book and and it's a quick read by the way it's it's not a long read just starting with with the model and starting with um how to think about estimation and how to get some initial inputs into your threat categories. One of the things in the, I think it's chapter four or five, I talk about, you know, the threat threat category risk model, and it's designed to be flexible and practical. So I've laid out some high-level threat categories, uh, but it doesn't mean that those are the only ones. You know, you can be more granular. You can be less granular. You know, you can add other categories into it. But just sitting down and, and starting uh, with, some some inputs to the model and getting some outputs out of the model, you know, I think it really spurs conversation with the different folks within the security program and the organization when you start looking at the model outputs and, and sort of asking yourself, you know, is that right generally? Um, and then going back and looking at your inputs again. And it's a really interesting exercise where we've done this with a couple of our clients because they start thinking about factors they hadn't considered before, like things like cyber risk insurance, um, and they start thinking through their controls. They start thinking through, you know, what downtime actually means in, in dollar terms, you know, depending on uh, data availability or, you know, data confidenti- confidentiality or integrity. And they really start thinking through, uh, you know, what it all means in, in dollar terms. And I think just doing the initial exercise is, is kind of an eye-opener. So, you know, having, having those conversations and doing that is, is a day, maybe two days at most. Uh, where you can start to uh, see some of the outputs of the model and then really think through, you know, what you want to do with that and and how you want to talk about, you know, those outputs and and how you want to potentially bring in uh, other teams and other stakeholders in the organization. I think what we've seen up to this point is that doing the modeling is is not difficult. What is difficult is having those conversations with other teams um, because risk tends to be calculated a certain way uh, within most organizations for other types of risk, whether it be you know geopolitical risk, financial risk, 
um, physical risk. This is a little bit different in terms of, of the model and the assumptions and the variables in the model. So, you know, having those conversations about the assumptions and having those conversations about the outputs is, is probably the, the most challenging and difficult part. Um, we've seen some organizations that have done it really well um, and other organizations that have struggled to, you know, basically try and win hearts and minds in, internally. Um, most organizations today, you know, they use a, a very basic uh, model of, you know, likelihood of occurrence times impact. The problem with it is just that there's no rigor behind the values that go into it. So somebody sort of just will throw out a, a number or figure and, and whoever's responsible for, for running that uh, equation will do it, but it's basically garbage in, garbage out. So it really is, is a, a bigger challenge of, you know, again, trying to evangelize some of these concepts internally and come to an agreement about how you're actually going to talk about risk when it comes to cyber. Our thanks to Recorded Futures Levi Gundert for joining us. The book is titled The Risk Business, What CISOs Need to Know About Risk-Based Cybersecurity. You can download a copy on the Recorded Future website. Don't forget to sign up for the Recorded Future Cyber Daily email, where every day you'll receive the top results for trending technical indicators that are crossing the web. Cyber news, targeted industries, threat actors, exploited vulnerabilities, malware, suspicious IP addresses, and much more. You can find that at recordedfuture.com slash intel. We hope you've enjoyed the show and that you'll subscribe and help spread the word among your colleagues and online. The Recorded Future podcast production team includes coordinating producer Monica Tadros, executive producer Greg Barrett. The show is produced by The Cyberwire with editor John Petrick, executive producer Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. 